Hello and welcome to the first of a special series of episodes on the Tigers Down Under. It's um, a chance to look back at the 2010s and uh, Hull City's uh, trials and tribulations through that decade and and all the good things that came along the way as well. Um, And with me on the first episode, um, I have Brad. How are you, Brad? Good, thanks, mate. How are you going? Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting sort of new uh twist on on our series of podcasts normally we'll review and preview games each week but this is sort of a little bit different so uh it's going to be a bit of fun to try out um it'll it'll go up sort of uh exclusively for the patreons for about a week i would say and then we'll release it to everyone else but it's just a little something for the patrons um and and sort of an encouragement for people that want to sign up um but we'll get underway so um, we, we sort of wanted to, or where we can, um, where we have uh, city shirts that correlate to the season in question, we'll sort of talk about um, the shirts that we have um, that tie into that. And so for the first episode, I thought I would chat about Tom Kearney, first of all. Um, shirt that I'm wearing is has got Kearney's name on the back. He, he was sort of... Um, the, there was a lot of players to like in that side in that first sort of Premier League spell. Um, so, you, you know, Myhill, Giovanni, Windass, of course, as, um, you know, um, irrepressible and, and, and difficult to difficult to argue with. Um, Ashby, you know, as you've got in your avatar there um, um, and other players like that. But Kearney for me was, you know, he was one of the young players who broke into the team. There was a, a few of them at the time. Um, Cooper was another one, of course, who's now playing at Leeds in the Premier League. But... Uh, and, and Kearney, of course, as well, with Fulham scoring a great goal last night. But he was sort of one that I latched onto in those in those early days, and he was still with us um, when we returned to the championship in 2010-11. Um, so, what what did you, what, what are your memories of, of Kearney in that spell, Brad? Um, well, look, I remember the goal at Everton was like I think it gave us something to be pretty proud of that one of our own young players and got to the big stage and really scored. And he actually looked like he just belonged in in that lineup for a guy who was always trying to sort of break his, his way in. But like most things, they, you know, things got tough, not just for him, but for the whole team. And uh, obviously, you know, the fact he's had such a long career at, at, at Fulham and end up being captain and getting him promoted and all that shows how good he was. But, um, yeah, he said he was a talent. And I, I still remember there was people raving about how good a young player he was, even though they'd only watched that one game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, no, no, it was it was definitely an exciting one in the side. And, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll start to talk about the um, kind of the context or, or the beginning of that 2010-11 season and, and how difficult a time it was for the club. Um, falling out of the Premier League, there were a few different financial issues, a few ownership issues, which... Um, we'll probably touch on in the next episode what we'll touch on the takeover by the Alums. But but for this episode, I guess it was it was all about finding a bit of stability, um, uh, you know, following the sort of Bartlett, Pearson um, um, regime, um, I guess you would say. Um, Pearson obviously was still there. I think he was essentially, he'd essentially taken over um, the running of the club is my memory of it. Um, and I guess his big move for the start of this season was appointing Nigel Pearson as manager, which 
from memory at the time was was a reasonably surprising acquisition. Um, he, he was a pretty successful manager at Leicester from memory at that point. Um, and, and we then um, basically approached them and they gave us permission to speak to him. Um, and, and, you know, of course, later on down the track, he went back to Leicester. But um, I think from, from memory at the time, he always sort of said the fact that Leicester allowed him to speak to us was part of the reason he was so happy to come along and, and sign up with us because he was a bit affronted that, that they would let that happen. Yeah, I, it was something strange was going on. Maybe, yeah, I remember there was a lot of Leicester fans upset that he left. Um, and uh, at the stage that he left Leicester, I think his career at Leicester was obviously pretty, uh, pretty solid as a manager because I remember thinking, why would he want to come to us? that point unless there was something we didn't know so at that time obviously we'd been relegated we'd had the heyday of being a premier league club um i suppose him getting signed really gave us some hope at the time or gave me some hope at the time that we thought we were going to bounce straight back yeah exactly um and and he he was a very uh, no-nonsense sort of manager which is exactly what you want when you've um suffered that relegation to the championship he he basically took on a club where he almost had to completely rebuild the team and and i think i remember him saying quite early on that he he approached it as sort of a progression where he started with fixing the defense so um you know, he, he was sort of renowned for his dour one nil results, but I think that was in part because there was such a focus on we've got we're a team that ships a lot of goals. Um, we're talking a little bit when we look at some of the key games from that first half of the season at some of the big losses that we had, um, and, and he he obviously focused on bringing some defenders into the club as well. So um, defensively sound manager and 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 gave us back um, probably a bit of strength in 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 defence that we needed. Um, from memory, I think we went on a pretty long run of undefeated, an undefeated streak of home games as well that season. So brought a bit of home form back for the club, um, which is what you need. We're sort of seeing it again this season with with the need when you have that relegation to sort of reshape the club and, and reshape the focus of the players. And, and he did that reasonably well um, at the start of that season. Yeah, and I think probably as fans, we all knew how obviously well regarded he was as a manager and probably with the fast that was that that end of that relegation year i think it was probably a really strong move but also probably helped even retain some of those players we thought we might leave uh, might lose but more importantly probably helped the fact that you know pearson was he always came across as sort of you know a little bit aggro and uh, <laughs> the fact he could probably get in there and sort out a few of these wage bill type player legacy issues that we were going to have by not playing and being quite firm of it probably was a pretty strong um strong advantage at that time as well yeah and so you you touched on there some of the the player departures that we had and probably the most heartbreaking one was Boas myhill and uh you know I, i'm still forever frustrated at the fact that after having been such a great keeper for us for a number of years he essentially left us for I think it was about one and a half million pounds to sit on West Brom's bench for the next six mm. or seven years, which I think it was. So, um, you know, amongst amongst the departures, so you had Yumai Hill departing for West Brom, Giovanni left for San Jose, which at the time was, I mean, I guess a move to the MLS was was not, um, it's still not considered a fantastic move these days, but um, to leave a relegated Premier League club for, for the MLS was probably a bit of a disappointing one. Um, you know, we had Olaf and Jana got loaned out to Cardiff. Um, Anthony Gardner went to Palace. 
Um, Kuzan left on a free as well, which was disappointing. And I, I think sort of the common trend with all, a lot of these departures was the fact that we we either um, came to a mutual agreement to terminate their contract or, or, or released them on a free deal. Um, there weren't a whole lot of transfer fees coming into the club. And I think My Hill, um, the one pictured here, um, was probably the one, the, the only one really that brought in a transfer fee. Um, so given the fact that the club was in a financial mess at the time, this likely didn't help things, but I suspect there was probably a reason why, as, as you mentioned earlier, just getting these wages off the books was pretty paramount at the time. Yeah, look, I think My Hill's probably an interesting one because I think, well, other than you and I, there was probably a lot of fans putting rumours out there about how we were going to load him back at one stage. I remember that, that came up. But um, I think he probably believed he was a Premier League keeper. And uh, we don't know. I mean, obviously, the club, like you just went through some of those names, to give up those players for free uh, or loan out the way we did was probably what we now know was just a wage bill that was ginormous. Um, yeah. And we all know that Myhill was a Premier League keeper. We saw when he was in the Premier League how good he was. We go back to those you know, saves against Arsenal and even the playoff semis against Watford. I mean, he was world class when he was running hot. So I think, like you said, though, one and a half million is just chicken feed for a yeah. great and I guess- keeper. And, and I guess the other one who I haven't even haven't even mentioned there was um, Stephen Hunt as well. I think went to Wolves and he might have gone for a fee as well. I think it was. I remember they were after him in the January of our relegation season for about five million or so, which at the time was a pretty reasonable fee. And then I think he broke his foot or he had some sort of injury, um, which basically halved that fee that we ended up receiving for him. So he he was another one, I guess. Who um, um, it's it, I mean it's interesting because you you look at the impact Giovanni had in that first season where I think he scored eight goals for the season um, from 33 or 34 games. But in that second season, only got the three goals, played 25, 26 games, I think it was, for the season. So there was a pretty reduced um, output from him, which you you could probably argue is part of the reason that we went down. Um, So whilst you look at those names as big departures, perhaps in terms of impact on the team, they, they weren't as significant as they had been previously. Yeah, you're probably right. I think, um, that, I mean, that second half of that season, it was clearly, well, I think anyway, the results obviously weren't there, we know that, but clearly around that Christmas break, about the time Brownie would have felt like this is all going to come to an end pretty quickly, um, you can imagine what was going on in that January transfer window with us being, you know, towards the bottom with the wage bill we've got and the owners and football directors, let's call them, running around covering their backsides. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they probably shopped every player on our books yeah. out at that time. Um, and who knows, mate, that sort of stuff probably went through the, the club news pretty quick or the players through their agents would have heard things. And it, it definitely was the most unsettled, well, before the obviously recent times, it was the most unsettled we'd seen the club full stop, I think. Yeah. What's going on? We all felt there was something going on, but we didn't really know. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's and it's definitely symbolised by my hill leaving. I mean, um, obviously Andy Dawson was still at the club, so and Ashby as well. So we still had um, that sort of connection to the team that had brought us through the divisions. But but my hill was sort of after because uh, France might have left around the same time. I. Th- think um i can't remember off the top of my head but Maya was sort of chipping away at that 
that core that had that come through the divisions for us. Um, on the other side of things, we did we did see a few players that would go on to become city legends in their own right join the club, and um, it was funny actually at the end of the last um, the last episode that Dan and I were, were recording um, on Wednesday, we did have a comment about. Um, uh, Josh Emmanuel being one of the best free transfers we've done. And we'll probably talk on the next episode about um, best ever free signings or best free signings in this era. And, and I think the two players pictured here, Robbie Corrin and... Um, and I Lee was Rosina, waiting for are, it. <laughs> are probably, are probably, are probably two of the... Um, probably two of the best that we've, we've managed to bring through the doors. And you sort of think... Um, considering they were free transfers and considering the, sta- the state that the club was in at the time... To be able to bring in players like this, um, who probably, uh, I mean, they're probably expected to do reasonably well, but probably did a whole, uh, you know, exceeded expectations and then some with the efforts that we got from them, and, and and really turned out to be diamonds in the rough just to a large extent. I mean, I mean, in saying that, I mean, Corin was a Premier League midfielder. It wasn't as if we plucked him from obscurity, but um, both were fantastic signings for us in that period. No, they were, and I mean. You wouldn't really want to try and compare who we got the best value out of, but they were both amazing signings considering where they where, where they joined us as a newly relegated team. But clearly, uh, I don't think... I think Corrin was there from the start of the season, I think, because Pearson he, brought him in. He was. So Corrin joined in August, I believe. And yeah. um, we'll, we'll, we'll go on and talk about the games in a second. But that Millwall 4-0 defeat was Corrin's debut, which I think was the second game of the season. So, yeah, he was he was essentially there from the start. Um, yeah. And then Rosenia joined. back Because back then, well, I mean, I guess they were free agents anyway. So Rosenia joined um, in October. But back then, of course, there was the short-term loans and that sort of thing. So we were bringing players in all through that first six months of the season, really. Yeah, and I, and I think um, like Corin came with that pedigree. We sort of had a feeling this guy could play, but Rosinia was probably just, oh yeah, we're just topping up. Yeah, um, yeah. But he had a, he had a real impact straight away. I mean, not to mention the fact that he could really play both sides of the park, and um, he almost probably, I mean, he's a real heart warmer because I think that's when we realised, okay, we are actually structurally trying to rebuild what could be a Premier League side. We just didn't know he was a key part of it or a good part of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, In terms of other signings from that period, I mean, Harper and Solano. Uh, Solano came with a little bit of pedigree as well. So he was was probably cut from the same mould as um, Corrin, but just didn't have the same success. Harper was... Um, as you say, sort of, you know, bringing bodies into the building, if anything else, in no disrespect to Harper, but I don't think he had a particularly significant impact uh, at the club. Um, Gerard was was an interesting one. I, I was I was sort of, at the time, a bit disappointed we didn't push to make that permanent at the end of the season because I, I think he, I think he, I could be mistaken, I think he won our player of the season that year or he came close. He, he had a terrific season for us on loan. Um, I think he was basically a swap for um, Olaf and Jana. They, it was a really weird deal where we loaned <laughs> Olaf and Jana to them and they loaned Gerard to us, but then we agreed that they could play against their parent clubs, which is pretty rare in England. I don't even know if you're still able to do that. Um, but, and, you know, obviously cousin and didn't, of... Didn't Olaf and Jana score against us? Yeah, I think he did. I think oh, he did, so that made it even more bizarre. Yeah, um, nothing for us. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. And then, of course, we had Bostock who came in from Spurs and... I mean, Bostock at that point was almost like um, 
I'm trying to think of a modern day player to compare him to, but he was, you know, that sort of flashy, young, exciting signing mm-hmm. on loan from a top Premier League club where you think, you know, especially after that goal on the opening day of the season, you sort of think, geez, we've got one here. And it just, I, I just can't put my finger on how, why it didn't work out for him. Maybe, maybe it was effort or, um, or, um, you know, thinking he was above, above the station that he was playing at. I'm not sure, but um, that signing could have been anything. It's just such a, a disappointment the way it petered out. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably where that position was at the time. You know, we signed three or four guys on a free. Two really worked and two really bombed. Um, and I think as well, I, I remember getting pretty excited with who we were signing, even though some of them had just gone loan. Um, but I, I think it's like most things, the reason why they're not staying with the club they're at is because the clubs they're at don't rate them as... Yeah. As, as maybe others, but um, I think if I remember, there was. I think you're right, I think Jared. If he wasn't player of the year, he was pretty close. Yeah, no, definitely, and um, and then we we did sort of descend into this revolving door of keepers because for a while we had Matt Duke in goal, which was was terrific because he was a great servant of the club and, and did really well for us, but. Um, we did we did end up bringing in Vito Minoni from Arsenal, and I think that sort of began the revolving door of different goalkeepers because we had Minoni through the door first, then Guzan and um, Ben Amos and others like that followed after that. Um, but I guess the only other significant player that came in during this period, who at the time, you know, speaking of Bostock, um, was Cameron Stewart from United, and and he was the mm. first of a few United players that came through the doors. The the others came in in the next half of the season, so Chester and Brady and guys like that. But Cameron Stewart, when he joined, um, was was you know it, it was the hype machine. He he was he was really exciting to watch. Um, you know, when we did eventually make that permanent and then Leicester tried to buy him off us and we refused, um, it was one of those sort of sliding doors moments. But Stuart was, was a really impressive, tricky winger um, when he joined and we kind of gave us that burst of excitement. But um, he's another one where it just sort of petered off in the end for him. Yeah, and no, I can't help but think that maybe it's got something to do with the way he was managed because I remember, like you said, he, he came on, he was one of those Man United pedigree type players that, we all knew, you know, okay, if we signed one of those, we should be looking at someone of quality. But he just didn't seem to get far with us at all. And I don't know, I know he got loaned out to, to Leeds. But I think it was another club there as well. He just didn't seem to be able to gel with anyone. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he's showing some pure genius at times and it's almost like he's a different bloke. Yeah, and and I've just had a look, and, and our memories are correct. It was um, Gerard who won Player of the Season, and, and it was Rosinia actually who came second. So, uh, oh, sort of, yeah, back, backing up exactly what we're saying. Um, so we'll look now at um, some of the games from that first half of the season, and and the picture I've got here is from the opening day with um, Bostock up against um, Swansea player. Um, it was probably almost game of the season. Um, you know, in doing that quick check on um, who won player of the season. I also noted that Bostock won goal of the season for his effort in this yeah. game. So yeah. it almost started off because I, I mean, I remember watching this game and, and, and Ashby got the um, second goal towards the end of the match. And it was such a neat two nil win that you just sort of looked at it and went, geez, okay, we're, we're actually, we, we've taken to the championship pretty well settled in. We've, we've found a player here in Bostock team sort of settled. We've kept a clean sheet you know, all up from here and, and it sort of didn't end up that way. But um, uh, what, what are your, do you have any games that stand out from that first half of the season um, in your mind? 
Um, I think probably uh, the, the big ones that probably stuck out for me at the time is obviously knowing that when we went up, Cardiff were always thereabouts. Um, and the fact that uh, they probably, you know, when we were looking at the way that game panned out, that was probably the time to say, okay, for me anyway, I thought, right, this is going to be a lot tougher than we thought. But probably the big one that I really remember the most was um, when we actually played, uh, I think, if you remember, it would have been just, was that boxing? No, it wasn't boxing that we played Leeds. It was before Christmas, I think. It was, it was a two-all against Leeds. But it was obviously, you know, a big game to play away. And I think yeah. I always sort of used the Leeds away game as a good yardstick, which, funny enough, if you look at last year, proves the point. Um, but the fact that we could go to Leeds at a time they thought they were okay and promotion rivals and all this sort of stuff. And I think we didn't win, but we actually played quite well to draw that I thought, okay, we're a chance not to end up as bad as things feel. And then, of course, we played at my home about a two or three months later and got the same results. So it didn't really mean anything in the scheme of things. But um, I, I probably felt anyway that I was really worried about us really slipping away that year to the point where, you know, League One was an option. Um, and the fact that we just pinched a couple of games against what I would say is those big rivals, not just because of locality, but because of size. Um, yeah, I felt like Pearson was the right man for the job and things would be more secure if you like. Yeah, and you've got a great memory. It was too, too. It was um, in November we played Leeds and, and funnily enough, that was Bostock's second and only uh, other goal of the season for us. So um, <laughs> an appropriate one to, to bring up in that context. Um, yeah, uh, for me, that what stands out from that season or that first half of the season, um, the 4-0 with Millwall was the first City game I saw live. So... Um, I'd missed. I'd, I'd been over in England for the second half of the um, Premier League campaign, but had missed the chance to, to get along to games because I was um, living down in London. So I I sort of looked at the um, looked at the schedule, and, and I was flying back home start of October. So I think the only game in in London or around London before then was that Millwall game, and I thought, you know, it's an experience in itself to go along to um, the Den and, and and watch and watch your side playing Millwall. So I thought I should go along. Um, it was a you know an eye-opening experience in a lot of ways. So, you know, losing four nil and still getting coins and bottles and other things thrown at us as we were leaving the ground was uh, certainly an experience. Um, and yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, it was Corin's debut for us as well, so that was a pretty pretty uh, good game or a noteworthy game to have been able to go along and see. I think I remember Cullen might have started up top for us, and I, th- I think you actually looked almost looked the best player on the pitch for us at the time. So. Um, had a, had a few wraps around Cullen at the time as well, so um, that that's probably the one that stands out for me. And then I think it was also we, we beat Norwich, uh, might have been October or November, um, or no, no, actually it was September, where it was our first away win in thirty games, where um, Corin and Kearney got on the score sheet for that one as well. So um, it was a pretty memorable game as well to kind of snap that that uh, winless streak away from home, which was pretty good. Um, and, and then as we said before, talking about Pearson, keeping nine clean sheets in those first 20 games was a, it was a pretty good hallmark, hallmark of how he managed to turn the side around in a, in a pretty short period of time um, to put us back on, back on track. As you say, it could have all kind of fallen out under us because from memory, 
maybe after the first month or so of the season, we might have, I think we were in the relegation zone and it was really, we were really staring down the barrel of a second relegation. I think, yeah, match day 16, looking at it, we were sitting 22nd in the table and I think that might have been just before the Alums came in. So um, it was very much a sliding doors moment at the time. And I know, I know people will say what they want about the Alums and I, I do agree to a large extent, but I think... Bring, uh, taking over the club when they did um, and not waiting for us to fall into administration, get docked to the nine points or 14 points or whatever it was, probably helped us stay up that season and, and kick on the way we did. But we will we will look we will look at the second half of this season when the Alums took over, the, the players that came in, because, of course, Fry, Chester, Brady, all those sorts of guys came in in that second half of the season. But it is, looking at this part of the season in isolation, it is interesting to sort of look at um, the you, you're starting to see the building blocks of the side that eventually went up under Steve Bruce. So as we were saying, you know, the Liam Rossini and, and Corrin signings in particular um, were really the sort of bedrock signings of that side. Even Jay Simpson, who we hadn't mentioned, but Jay Simpson coming in from Arsenal and um, alongside Fried and, and Aluko later on for Bruce um, did actually play a pretty decent role in, in that promotion season as well. So, we, we, we did sort of put the building blocks in place. It wasn't as if we brought in a whole bunch of short-term players who then were straight back out the door. Um, we did start to, to make that transition. Yeah, and I think probably that sums it up really well just as far as that role that we got on. I think I, I just remember that Leeds game and talking to my old man saying, oh, I've got a bad feeling about this. And <laughs> yeah. that, that, that would have been, I can't remember how far back we're going exactly, but it would have been around the time that we thought I remember Bullard was, mm. uh, he was around and causing pain because he we knew it was pretty public how much he was getting paid and not seeming to care. And, but I remember thinking, and I, I don't know, you might be able to check through your archives, mate. I don't know if Fryer played in the first Leeds game, but he definitely played in the second one. No, because Fryer Fry only joined in January, I think. Oh, right, okay. So yeah, I remember... Yeah. Even though it was at home and it was the same result, I remember thinking that, okay, the first game against Leeds away, great, we picked up a point. That was good. But I was still worried about where our goals were going to come from. And yeah. I think in the second half of that season is where you know, Cone clearly started just banging him in for fun. But having Fry join was like, oh, yeah, this guy's yeah. just a known freak of a goal scorer and this stuff. And um, you knew he was going to be good for us. Yeah, and looking at that score sheet, I mean, it, we're skipping ahead a little bit here, um, probably touch on it again in the next episode, but looking ahead at that score sheet, so Fried and Chester had opened the scoring for us in that Leeds game, and funnily enough, it was Snodgrass who, who pulled the first back for Leeds before they <laughs> before they got it back to 2-2. So there's a few uh, few familiar names that are floating around uh, that, that championship season for us, so that'll be an interesting one to look forward to as well. Um, the, the other one was, was we also had Nicky Barmby, who was still in the side, and, and I guess there'll be more significance to talk about Barmby the following season when he, um, he ended up taking over um, the reins from, from Pearson. But um, he, he was still contributing a few goals. I mean, you, you're talking there about sort of the worry about where our goals were going to come from, and, and quite rightly because, you know, Barmby at the age that he was, was essentially our leading um, attacking option at that time, really. Um, and I think in that first half of the season, he, he was our leading goal scorer with, I think I've got this written down, 
Uh, no, so it was five. I think it was Corin who had five for the first half of the season, but Barnby had also chipped in with, I think, two or three goals as well. So um, it was was still a, it was still a capable option for us at the time. Oh, mate, he was. I remember, you know, you're watching. Sometimes it was just highlights, but I remember watching him as a small bloke. The positions he used to get himself into, the crosses and all that, and the way he scored these goals. I mean, the guy is. He, he actually went up a lot further in my book than even those previous years of being a Premier League English superstar. Because yeah. there was nights where we were horrible and he, someone would just whip a ball in and the way he would just, you know, at an angle, score from in front behind defenders for such a, well, I say small man, he's not tiny, he's not huge. Um, but he actually went up more in my book in, in those... That, Sort of, I can't remember which part of that season it was, but definitely when he was scoring those goals and we weren't tracking greatly. He yeah, he was. He was on the probably showed more than he was. I've got no doubt the way he played in that season is the reason why they automatically made him manager. Yeah, yeah, and in a, in a way, it was a shame. I mean, and again, we are sort of jumping ahead again, but that that second season um, under Pearson, which I think is probably the one that you're referring to even more so, where he, he did just keep kind of bailing us out. It was a real shame in a way that he he refused to play himself, which I guess in a sense yes. is quite noble. But yeah. he legitimately would have been a very good option to have been able to throw on late. But he, he yes, essentially anyway. he essentially hung up the boots when he became caretaker manager. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. He, he, he probably didn't really understand maybe even as he was hitting his prime years or whatever it is, he was definitely still giving us something that was causing a problem. Oh, I just knocked over my mic. Yes, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But we, we'll, we'll talk more about um, that season, obviously, on on the next couple of episodes. But um, I think that's a that's a good place to wrap this one up. So thank you for joining me for the first look back at this uh, this decade. We'll see we'll, we'll 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 see how we're going. Whether we keep doing sort of half seasons or whether we switch to doing full seasons, because um, there's of course the fact that as we get closer to the current day, it'll be. There'll be a lot more um, pieces to pull out, so so doing these half seasons might might be even more relevant as we progress through. But um, good start, and um, thank you for joining me, Brad. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks everyone for listening in. Um, we'll probably try and aim to do these every two to three weeks, um, depending on how we go. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. Um, drop a drop a comment with your favourite memories from this section of the season. Um, share it around. Um, we'll probably put up a poll potentially about who our our best signing was from this first half of the season uh, or, or maybe, um, you know, favourite favorite game or favourite favorite memory from this part of the season as well. So look out for a, look out for a poll um, just for a bit of interactive um, experience with this. But until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning.